Thank you, Connor. If you have your Bibles, please open them to Ruth, chapter 2. If you don't have your Bible, it will be on the screen behind me. And we're going to start with verse 14. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she arose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. May God bless the reading of his word. I'll be honest, when I um, was last week, when I would write the week before, um, I wasn't sure how I was going to break up this section. But we decided to do it this way. (laughs) Um, It seems that it kind of flows best. And, well, let's see how it goes. Verse 14. And at mealtime Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. Um, As was customary, there was a brief break from work to be slightly rejuvenated for the rest of the workday. At mealtime is generally agreed upon to mean around noon. So at noontime meal, Boaz approaches Ruth and requests that she eat with himself and the reapers. So we notice that he has her eat some bread and dip the morsel in the wine. Bread was part of the normal diet for the time period. Um, And again, this brief respite would allow the workers some reprieve from the heat and allow them to get some food in their systems, giving them more energy for the rest of the day. The wine which she would dip her morsel in would be more of a vinaigrette that would give some flavor to the bread. We then find that she sat beside the reapers. This is important to notice. While it may be true that Boaz was the one who invited her over for the lunchtime meal, she did not sit next to him. Instead, she sat next to the workers. One must wonder if there will come a time when she will sit next to Boaz instead of the reapers. It also reminds us that though she is not sitting next to Boaz, she is now part of the inner circle instead of the outside fringes, though she is still quite on the edge. Boaz also does something truly remarkable. He passed her some roasted grain. This grain would have been obviously cooked previously. What is interesting to consider is not necessarily the food itself, but Boaz's action. Whereas it would normally be that a server would serve Boaz, Boaz goes out of his way to serve Ruth. Um, Clearly, we're seeing a theme which has played itself out throughout the book of Ruth, and that is Hesed. Boaz is showing Ruth great Hesed by treating her in this way. So Ruth ate until she was satisfied and even had some left over. Again, we see that Ruth was given enough to fill up her own need and more so. This reminds us of the previous chapter where we found out that the famine had ended in Israel. We were left wondering, though, if the women would have their own personal famines end as well. And if this is any indication, it would appear that their own famine has begun to come to an end also. We then come to verse 15. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. Ruth appears to have finished her meal before the reapers, and because of this, she begins to go and glean again. 
Um, her fortitude in this whole situation is impressive, but it also reminds us of the testimony of Boaz and his kindness. She has been able to drink from the water, and she has even been given a meal. Both of these would give her endurance, and instead of wasting her gifts that she had been given, she continues to work hard to glean as much as possible. We then see Boaz instruct the young men. This works out with the next verse as well in an A-B-A-B format. I know it's weird, but trust me. The first half of the statements concern Ruth and what she is allowed to do. So that's the A's. And then the second half, the B's, correspond to the young men and what they are to do in response. So the first part we see that she is allowed to glean among the sheaves. That's the A. This will give Ruth more to glean than what she was already able to glean. Before, she was only to glean after the reapers. Now she's able to glean from the sheaves themselves. Now B, the response from the workers should be not to reproach her. Under normal circumstances, gleaners would likely not be able to glean in between the sheaves as she's allowed to do now. Despite this, Boaz is permitting her to do so and commands the young men not to disturb her while she gleans. And this, of course, leads us to verse 16. And also pull out some of the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. This is now the second half of the AB formula. Again, we learn what Ruth is allowed to do or what they are to do for her. The gleaners are to pull out um, some of the bundles and leave it for her to glean. Again, this is a very generous act on Boaz's part. It means she would not need to cut down the sheaves themselves. Instead, she would be able to simply pick up what was left over by the men. Their response should, again, be not to rebuke her. Uh, In this way, Boaz is keeping the men from doing something which would be a normal human response to such kindness. They who are Israelites and hardworking individuals should not seek to think less of Ruth or treat her in a way which would mock her. Boaz is purposefully showing her hesed in this instance, and the men should refrain from treating her in a way which would belittle her because of his kindness. So we come to verse 17. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. We now learn what occurred with Ruth. Generally, gleaning took place from sunup until the evening time, so before the sun went down. So it was that she continued to glean throughout the day. She again did not let what she had been given go to waste, and she she took it upon herself to continue to glean and work hard, especially under the kind circumstances. So, as would normally happen, she then beat out what she had gleaned. This was done to separate the grain from the heads of the barley. Um, This was done for two reasons. The first is that it would make it lighter to carry back in the town. And the second is that it would separate what would be eaten from what would not be eaten. After she had done this, we find that she had about an ephah of barley. Um, Now, we're not sure exactly how much an ephah amounted to. We do know that an ephah was about one-tenth of what a donkey could carry. So some estimate that the ephah to be approximately 22 liters or 5.5 gallons. This is actually the lower end of the spectrum, which would have it around 22 pounds of barley. Others have speculated as high as 50 pounds of barley. Regardless, this would be about two weeks' worth of barley, if not more, and clearly much more than either of the women could would have dreamed that they'd have. If normally um, gleaners made that much, there would be a lot of gleaners. But as it was, 
They're only those on the lower end of the spectrum. So we come to verse 18. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. So Ruth took what she had back into the city. Um, She would likely wrap it up in her shawl and carry it over her shoulder back into town. One would imagine that would have been uh, quite a walk to carry that much, but Ruth seems to be up up to the task. Right away, Naomi recognizes how much she had gleaned. Her recognition will be the start of the upcoming dialogue between Ruth and Naomi for the rest of the chapter. For now, Naomi is likely impressed, if not awed, over how much Ruth was able to glean. One can imagine Naomi wondering how Ruth would fare under the circumstances of being a foreigner out gleaning in the fields. For her to receive this much is both impressive and must also leave her with a lot of questions, which is what we're going to see. We also see something of Ruth. If we remember when she had eaten in the midday meal, she had enough left over. We did not know it at the time, but she seemed to have taken what was left over. She could have eaten it during the rest of the day, but instead we find that she does not do this. Instead, she thinks of Naomi and brings it home for her to eat. Um, Such an act of kindness continues to show us Ruth's character and her hesed toward her mother-in-law. Despite doing so much work, she still thinks of her mother-in-law, who is at home feeling destitute. Maybe this will come to show that it will be through Ruth that the bitterness, the sorrow, the famine in Naomi will come to an end. Now this leads us to the main point. And the main point of this section is to show us exactly what occurred the rest of the day with Ruth. We see more of Boaz and his character. He is not just a normal, everyday individual, but a caring man who has the well-being of Ruth in mind. Likewise, we see further this theme of hesed take place within the story. Um, The women have been blessed by God's providence in having Ruth visit Boaz's field, and Boaz himself continues to be used by God to show his providence, his hesed, displayed. Now this leads us to the application points. The first is ending famines. In the last chapter, we spent some time considering the famine that had occurred in the land of the tribes of Israel. Um, We recognized it to be an act of God on the people, and it is very likely that this is what the author of Ruth is showing us as we continue to see God's providence within the book. Despite this, the famine eventually ended, and it was because of this Naomi decided to travel back to Bethlehem. So far within the second chapter of Ruth, we have seen that this famine has truly subsided. God is with his people, blessing them as his people. It is with this that we consider this topic further. Not only was there a famine in the tribes of Israel, but there was another famine occurring with the main characters of the book, specifically Naomi and Ruth. Um, They had both lost husbands. Naomi had decided to return to her hometown, and Ruth, by doing so, lost her family um, to be with Naomi, who is now her only family. As we consider the time period, these two women were in dire straits when they arrived in Bethlehem. They still had very little, as we can see from Ruth, needing to go and glean at all. So we can see that they themselves had their own famine up until this moment in the book, when we learn of the Hesed of Boaz and Ruth's work. It's with this that we now see something rather extraordinary occur, and that is how God has providentially restocked Bethlehem, the house of bread. 
But we also see further that it is restocking in Bethlehem. He has also provided for Naomi and Ruth. Naomi, who is admittedly bitter and old, and Ruth, who is an outsider. Both have been destitute. Both have lost and both have been in their own personal famine without much physical comfort. Now, however, God has provided for them food to end this famine. This causes us to think of a few things. The first is that it is not so surprising, is it? God is a God who will bring famine, but he is also the one who provides relief from famines. He has done it for these two women's. He has brought them to the place where they need to be in order for them to escape at least some of their current famines. As we consider further in the book of Ruth, this makes us consider something even more hopeful in the story. The story itself has had much foreshadowing. We have seen food, food shortages and abundance. And this same scheme has occurred within Ruth and Naomi. But there is another kind of famine that we have seen as well. We have seen both Ruth and Orpah in a special kind of famine of barrenness. Is this providence from God in this area foreshadowing a further fulfillment within Ruth herself? Will... will she, after having a shortage of blessing and childbearing, end up having abundance. What about Naomi, who is bitter? Will this, the, will this end most of the bitterness in her, or is it just the beginning? These are schemes and themes which we can see within Ruth and should continue to ask um, as we continue forward. Are these things ending? It's with this, though, that we reflect on ourselves. Sometimes we too can be in our own personal famines. Some of us have experienced these times of famines when it seems as though everything is going wrong, when there's sorrow, when it appears as though the hand of God is against us or at least not for us, when there doesn't seem to be any comfort and when there is absolutely no abundance. These kinds of famines can be both physical as well as spiritual. Tell me, have any of you experienced some kind of famine like that? I want to see hands. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Pat. Thank you, all of you. Who? Those four of you. <laughs> it's with this, though. Um, no. Well, well, then I think that we can all be encouraged by what we are reading here today. Earlier in the book of Ruth, we were given signs of potential relief. But now we are seeing that relief happen. Before, it was only speculation whether these women would get out of their famines, whether God would reverse their circumstances and bring abundance from nothing. And guess what? God is doing it right here. He has begun the process of bringing these women out of their painful circumstances. Now I have to ask, why wouldn't we be encouraged by this? For those who may be going through such a famine right this instant, how could this not make your heart a little more hopeful, seeing that God really does move and that he really does provide? For those of us who have been through famines, doesn't it remind you to rejoice over how you have been in Naomi and Ruth's position in some way and have seen the hand of God move to bring you out of that darkness? Doesn't it want to make you rejoice remembering that you have had first-hand experience of God's providence moving in your life, just as it is moving for Ruth and for Naomi? That is what we have from this thus far. We have hope and knowledge. Hope in that if we are in a famine, God can turn all that is barren into abundance. And we have 
knowledge knowing that God does do this through the gospel itself. When he takes that which is dead in sin and brings it to life. You see, every other famine in our lives is secondary compared to the famine of our hearts before our conversion. if, If this congregation is evidence of anything, it is the evidence of the power of God to end famines. It is the evidence of the power of God to turn that which is in us from darkness to light. What about the other stuff? What about the food and this or that? Well, some of these things are important. I mean, Jesus even told us to pray for God to deliver our daily bread. And we should pray for these things. And it is right for us to do so, knowing that God is able. But the truth is, everything else pales in comparison with the knowledge that we were all once dead and now alive. That the dead in our hearts has been turned into life. We are all like Naomi and Ruth. We have all had experiences that left us without comfort or hope. Yet, the gospel provides us our greatest comfort and our greatest hope through Jesus Christ. Because, really think about this, if God can bring you and I back from the dead, then he, we should be able to know for sure that he is capable of turning everything else around as well. And if things don't get turned around, we still have the greatest blessing anyway. And that is the greatest famine relief we could ever ask for or receive. So cling to Christ, who is our eternal hope, and from whom all of our abundance comes. Now, this leads us to our next point, which is Hesed. And I warn you in advance, you know, I started writing this point, and then I edited it, and then I wrote it, and then I edited it, and we'll see how it ended up. (laughs) I don't know. So within the text, we have seen an important theme in the book of Ruth, which is Hesed. We saw some of this last week with Boaz's first response, so to speak, to Ruth. Now, however, we see more hesed given to Ruth by Boaz, and we also see the fruits of that hesed as well. So the question some of us might be wondering is, what is hesed again exactly? It's been a while since we went over it. Well, let's do a quick review. Hesed is a term which simply is too broad to be described in English because it is a way of expressing All of God's good attributes toward his people. Most of the older translations will thus translate it as loving kindness, which is a good way to describe it. But it's also more than just loving kindness. It includes his grace, his mercy, his providence, his deliverance, all of these things. So that is what hesed means. Um, It's a broad term used to describe all of these characteristics. That said... We can clearly see God's hesed within Ruth thus far. We can see it with the ending of the famine, and we can see it with the way he has providentially taken care of both Naomi and Ruth. He has shown his hesed to these women through the person of Boaz, and overall through the blessings he has given to the people through the land with its abundance. Likewise, likewise, while we consider Boaz, we can see Boaz's own hesed toward the women. It is fascinating to remember how God uses individuals for his own glory and his own providence. It is truly remarkable to consider God using Boaz's personal hesed to show his own hesed and reminds us of just how amazing it is to be human, an image bearer of God, who can have this loving kindness toward each other personally. But there is something that is even further seen within these acts of hesed. 
And that is how these acts of Hesed are given without expecting anything in return. Let's consider God. God does not really owe anything to the tribe, so to speak. Technically, the people have already broken their covenants multiple times with God, if you've ever read Judges. Um, God continues to show them his Hesed when they repent and turn back to him, though. Does God have to do this? No. He could just as easily ignore them, but he doesn't. This is a reminder of God's grace on the people. Though they fail, he does not fail in his covenants and his promises. In the end, the tribes can't give anything to God that would truly benefit God, because God is completely self-sustaining. He doesn't need them to sacrifice, let's say, to be fed. Um, as an example, because he has no need of anything. He is who he is. So it's when we think about this that we think of Boaz. His hesed is similar to God's in this regard. Ruth really doesn't have anything to offer Boaz in return for his hesed. She can't give him money. She can't give him back all that he has already given to her. So what does this then tell us about hesed? It reminds us that it is given if the requirements are met. Wait a minute. Isn't this hesed given unconditionally, you're asking? You see, that is what we, what we come to something interesting, when we come to something interesting. Because the truth is, God does not give his hesed unconditionally to those who are disobedient, for example. Instead, it is to the obedient, his true people, who receive his hesed. It is to those who repent of their sins, not remain in their sins, who receive his hesed. Now, in regards to Boaz and Ruth... We know that Boaz is showing his own hesed to her for a reason. We know she has done something to warrant his hesed, because we are told this in the previous verses. If we remember, Ruth asked Boaz what she has done to find favor in his sight. And this is what his response was. But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So we find this to be the reason for his hesed to Ruth. There are things which every human has been given by grace. God has given us each... um, By his grace, his love as his creation. He has given us all his patience. He has given us all his kindness. He has given us all grace and mercy. However, this hesed is not for every human. It is for his people. He reserves this for his own, for those who are obedient to his voice. In the same way, we are to have this hesed toward each other if we are in Christ. Now, some of you may think, wait, aren't we supposed to love everybody? Um, Yes, we are to love everyone by telling them the truth about themselves, that they are in their sin and in desperate need for salvation, which can only come through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We are to love others by telling them to repent of their sins and cling to Jesus Christ, placing their faith in him for their salvation. But we are primarily to show this hesed to brothers and sisters of the faith. Despite popular belief, God does not simply love everyone the exact same. True, God loves all humans as his creation, just as an artist loves his creation. 
However, I also know that God does not love the unrepentant sinner who cares nothing for Christ the same way as the repentant sinner who knows only Christ. How do I know this? I know this because I know that the love of the Father has for his Son is the greatest definition of love that there is. And he has this love for all who are in his Son and place their faith in him. And it is reserved only for those who are in Christ because it is only for Christ. There is nowhere else that this love can be found or attained. Read Romans 8 in case you're curious. If you are a Christian and you think it is a small thing for God to love you in this way because he loves all Christians this way, then I'll tell you that you have not yet grasped just the significant that statement of love is. And I will recommend that you seek to grasp it all the days of your life. This is the hasid of God given to you because of Christ. And the truth is, it is not for everyone. It is only for those who are in Christ. So that is why I say we need to be cautious with our energies and with our own hesed. We are to be wise not to expend countless hours on so many individuals who show no signs of life when those who have life are in desperate need of our energies and our hesed. Boaz does not simply give this hesed to anyone. He gives it to Ruth because she has shown signs of life. Now, that does not mean that we are to be ignorant of the fallen or that we ignore the dead. It certainly does not mean that we allow them to go to hell without clinging to their knees. No, every soul who goes that direction should have us on their knees and they should have to trample over our bodies to get there. It just reminds us that they need to be brought to life. And the only way that they can be brought to life is if we preach the gospel. That is the greatest and most loving thing we can do for them. Likewise, we should be courteous, kind, compassionate toward all people in this way. At the same time, we need to take care of our own brothers and sisters of the faith who have been given life in our need and yet are neglected for the sake of the dead because we falsely believe that if the dead will, that the dead will believe if we give and if we do all these things to meet their needs while ignoring their greatest need that they must be brought from death to life. So it is at this point, so that is the point of all this. Hesed is given to, given to God specifically for his people, given by God to his people. We should likewise seek to show this Hesed toward brothers and sisters of the faith. We are to show the world we are Christians by our love for each other. As Christ said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Be thankful for the great hesed that you have been given through Christ and reflect much on the hesed we are seeing within the book of Ruth. Learn from it and seek to emulate it in your relationships towards each other and to learn how God shows it to you. Now, I think that it is safe to say that all of this ties into the gospel. Who knew that the book of Ruth had so much gospel in it? It's almost as if, like, you know, it's the gospel of Ruth. I suppose some of you are saying, well, you hit it on it every week, so it's starting to become a common theme. Um, so it is. Amazing how the gospel always finds its way in. 
how God turns our famines into abundance, or how he shows us his great hesed through his son. So much gospel right there. The gospel of Jesus Christ begins with our origins. We are created in the image of God. Because God is a God of love, reason, has personality, knows, can be known and displays his hesed, so can we. It is here we find human dignity and sanctity to all human life. Yet like God, we are able to choose. We could either choose obedience in life or disobedience which leads to sin and death. We chose the latter and have chosen the latter ever since. Because of this, our relationships with God, ourselves, each other, and the world are broken. And we accrue a true moral guilt before our God every day. Not a feeling of guilt, but true guilt, which makes us worthy of judgment before God. So humanity is in this darkness. Yet God did not leave us in our darkness forever. Instead, he sent his word and his light into the darkness, and this was Jesus Christ. He lived, died, and rose again in time, space, history, and flesh. It is through him we are redeemed from our sins. We are raised from death to life. All of our guilt is erased, being justified by his blood, and our relationships begin to be healed. These are his victories. And for those who are in Christ, they celebrate and share in the victory of Christ. God requires obedience for us in only two things. The first is repentance from sin. We are to turn away from our sins. We are not to have lifestyles of sins, but live a new life according to the will of God as told through the scriptures and his son Jesus Christ. We are to walk in step with the Spirit. That is how we repent. Now the second is faith in Christ. We are to recognize our complete dependence upon the Son of God, that it is His righteousness which makes us right with God. It is not that you or I can do anything to be saved. Instead, we can only rely on what Christ has done to be saved. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the Scriptures alone, and for the glory of God alone. For those who are disobedient in these things, there is only condemnation for their sins. They will face the judgment of God, for there is nothing we can do on our own to alleviate the guilt. And any who go before God with only their own merits will find even their merits worthy of wrath. Yet for those who are obedient, they will find love and hesed. They will become co-heirs of an eternal kingdom, partakers of the very glory of God through the victory of Jesus Christ. It is in him they will experience peace with God forever. My hope is that you would continue to see the gospel of Jesus Christ in your life, that you would experience his hesed, his love, his great attributes reserved only for those who are in Christ that we would continue to strive to understand the gospel and seek Christ in our times of famine, remembering what he has already accomplished and knowing that because of what he has accomplished, nothing is impossible with our God. Amen. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the book of Ruth, which continues to show us your own attributes And it's through these personalities, through these personal beings, that these attributes are being shown 
to each and every one of us. May we continue to emulate your word. May we continue to seek and strive after nothing short of the glory of God and giving ourselves fully more and more into Christ in repentance and faith. May you continue to lead your people and may us continue to be led by your great love. Amen. Please rise as we